This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you pray. And so, Lord, we, we need to flee to you. Um, we pray that, that right now that you would just uh, see that our self-sufficiency is not our need, that it's you that we need, and that we need to run to you. And so, as we do that now, uh, as we... As we open up your word, as we read it together, as we dig into it together, Lord, we, we do that mindful of our great, great need for you. And you know the, the need in, in all of our lives today. You know exactly where we need to be challenged, where we need to be encouraged, where we need to be comforted or assured, convicted, Lord, you, you are aware of all the needs that are represented in this, this room right now, and we know that, that our Savior has the answer for every one of them. And so we ask you now to have your way in our lives. Pray, pray that you give us just a real sensitivity to the voice of your Spirit <clears throat> and to your call. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, if you are um, new with us today, um, we have been in a series called Encountering Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And what we're doing between now and Easter Sunday is uh, we are looking at various encounters that Jesus has with people in Luke's Gospel. Different encounters. And today we're, we're going to look at chapter 5, and we're going to talk about encountering his call. Encountering his call. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses of chapter 5 of Luke today. And if you'll find that in your copy of God's Word and, and follow along um, as I read. Luke chapter 5, and verses 1 through 11, encountering his call. God's word says, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. And let down your nets for catch. Master, Simon replied, we, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish. And their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said... Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he 
and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. In his classic, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis states the following. Lewis says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think are innocent as well as the ones you think are wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. That sounds like Lewis had been <laughs> meditating on Luke 5, 1 through 11 when he wrote that. Because what we see here in this text is that Jesus is calling his first disciples to a new life. And he calls us as his disciples today to a new life. So what do we see here in this text? First of all, we, we see divine instruction. Divine instruction. Let's take a look at verse 1. It says, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. So at this point, Jesus is still in the little town of Capernaum at the end of chapter 4 where we were last week. That's where Jesus was and, and this, say, this scene uh, takes place in the same little town. Capernaum, if you remember from last week, is a little town right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Interestingly, Luke is the only one of the four gospel writers that refers to the Sea of Galilee as Lake Gennesaret. So Gennesaret is sort of a Greek form of Kinneret, which is what this body is referred to in, in Hebrew in, in, in Israel uh, today. And technically, it is a lake. <laughs> it's about eight miles across, uh, 14 miles uh, from top to bottom, and it is known for its fishing today and, and in the first century. And so in Capernaum, there were two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John, who owned and operated a very prosperous fishing business. And Luke tells us here in verse 1 that at this point the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word. Not a surprise after what we saw last week at the end of chapter 4, right? Because what has Jesus been up to in Capernaum? We saw it in chapter 4. I mean, there were are scores of people that have been miraculously healed. Demons have been cast out of people. And Jesus is teaching with a, a, an absolute power and an anointing that is unlike anything that they have seen or heard in their lives. And so it's no wonder 
that the crowds are, are literally pressing in on Jesus at this point. To the point that he needs to, to, to create more space, which he creatively does. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says he saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to, to, to Simon. And this is Peter, sometimes called Peter. Peter is like his nickname, okay? Uh, sometimes Simon, sometimes Peter. Sometimes he's referred to as Simon Peter. But he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. So the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee is, is sort of a zigzagging coastline. And so what it does is it creates these uh, natural little uh, inlets. And these, nat- these inlets are sort of like, a, they're sort of like natural uh, amphitheaters. And so... Even today, if, if, if a crowd were uh, gathered on the shore and sort of on the hillsides, and, and if you were in a, a boat just a little ways out from the shoreline, the acoustics are so perfect that you can just speak in a natural tone of voice, and a large crowd can be able to hear perfectly well what you're saying. And so by using this boat as a pulpit, Jesus is not only uh, alleviating the space issue, but is also improving the acoustics at the same time. And the two boats that just happened to be there at that moment belong to these two sets of brothers. There There are a lot of things that just happen when God is involved. These guys have had prior contact with Jesus. We know that. Sometimes we look at the, at the call of these first disciples and it's almost like Jesus walks up out of nowhere and they've never seen him before and they, 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 they follow him. But, but in, in these cases, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John have had prior contact with Jesus. And we know that because one of the people that was healed in, uh, in, in chapter 4 was Peter's mother-in-law. In fact, he's probably staying at Peter's house. And so if Peter knows Jesus, then certainly his brother Andrew knows him, and their business partners, James and John, have also had some exposure to him. And so these guys have not come close to putting together all the pieces to who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah, let alone the Son of God, but they have seen supernatural power flowing from him and these miracles and in his teachings, and so there is already not only a respect, but even a reverence for Jesus. And so when Jesus asks Peter to kind of put his boat out a little bit and allow him to teach from his boat, Peter readily drops what he does and obeys Jesus' instruction. But then (laughs) Jesus is going to give Peter an instruction that is going to be more of a test for him. Verses 4 and 5. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now on a human level, this, this fishing guide instructions uh, it makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, this is Peter's life. <laughs> it's what he's done literally all his life because almost certainly... And knowing that culture, uh, Peter would have grown up uh, fishing on the Sea of Galilee. It's probably what his father did for a livelihood. And, and so Peter had just, 
followed in behind him. And so, so Peter has been fishing these waters all his life. And so he knows the patterns. He knows the feeding patterns of these fish. He knows the movement patterns of these fish. And he knows that, humanly speaking, there are going to be no fish <laughs> at this time, at this place. But because it's Jesus, he acquiesces. He says, if you say so, after reminding Jesus they've worked all night and caught nothing, <laughs> he says, if you say so, we'll do it. It's interesting, um, the phrase here in verse four, when Jesus says to Peter, put out into deep water and let down your nets. Put out into deep water. And on, on, on one level, he's giving him practical instruction. <laughs> Go out a little further from the shore and let the nets down. But, but, but you sense that this phrase has a, a deeper level to it. Especially in light of what he's getting ready to, to, to command Peter and these guys to do. It's like Jesus is not just saying, put out a little deeper. Jesus is saying, trust me with your life. Put out a little deeper and trust me with life from now on. Has God ever asked you to put out into deeper water in your life? Gary Haugen uh, heads up a, a ministry called IJM. IJM stands for International Justice Mission. And it's a Christian organization, Christian nonprofit, uh, whose mission is to rescue victims of sex trafficking around the world. It, it began sort of as a dream in in Gary's mind and heart. He worked at the Department of Justice, and in his job, he had come to just see the, the global evil of human trafficking, and that uh, people were just being enslaved, uh, boys and girls, uh, men and women, just, just being enslaved around the world in this incredibly evil, diabolical uh, trade. And he'd He'd come to think that, you know, with his experience and international relations and so forth, uh, that, that God was putting a call on his life to, to start a movement and, 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 and head up a, a, a ministry that would help to, to free people from this, this evil. But there came the day when sort of that dream in his mind had to become a reality. And he was going to have to resign his very safe, very lucrative job at the Justice Department and become IJM's first full-time employee of this nonprofit. And so the day came when he was going to have to walk into his boss's office uh, and, and resign, turn in his badge and resign. And, and Gary says... Uh, I courageously walked into his office and I was so brave that I asked him for a year-long leave of absence. <laughs> which he politely declined to give. And he said, at that point, I was really nervous. And then I started to ask why. You know, what are you afraid of? 
you know, the worst that could happen is that IJM could, could fail. And then what? You're not going to starve. Your family's not going to starve. The worst thing that might happen if it fails is that you, you, know, you might have to live with your parents for a limited amount of time. But, you know, he knew with his education and credentials and experience, something else was going to open up. So he had to ask himself, what are you afraid of? And it hit him. He was afraid of being humiliated. He was afraid of being seen as a failure. He was afraid of being embarrassed. And Gary Haugen says this about that moment. He says, so there it was. My boundary of fear. I sense God inviting me to an extraordinary adventure of service, but deep inside, I was afraid of looking like a fool and a loser. This was actually very helpful to see because it helped me get past it. When I'm older, do I really want to look back and say, yeah, I sense that God was calling me to lead a movement to bring rescue to people who desperately need an advocate in the world, but I was afraid of getting embarrassed, so I never even tried. Think about that. The next time Jesus calls you to put out into deeper water. Divine instruction. Second, divine result. We see a divine result here, don't we? Look at verses six and seven. It says when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I just picture this. It's comical. Uh, they, they, Peter goes out. He lets over the net. These boats are like you know, 20 to 30 feet long, fairly wide. Um, and so the nets would have been sizable. And he lets over this net and immediately, this is not a gradual thing, like immediately the net is just swelled to bursting. To, you, I mean, picture, picture the boat like listing over to one side as Peter's trying to frantically pull this net in and he realizes he can't do it on his own and the net is beginning to fray and tear and then he's frantically signaling for James and John to come out and help and so they, they frantically row out there to help them and they're able to help Peter in the process. They let down their own net and the same thing happens and so both boats are just just weighted down. Just imagine both of these boats just kind of like just sunk, kind of sinking down almost to the, to the water line. <laughs> just these two boats just kind of like uh, just weighed down almost to the point of sinking just with this, this massive haul of fish. Now this would have been a financial windfall for these guys. But they're... But they're What's, what's Peter's reaction? He's not gleeful. I think Jesus, Jesus probably had a smile on his face. Jesus is probably laughing the whole time this is going on. But Peter, he's trembling. He's trembling. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, 
go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Years ago, I heard the late R.C. Sproul in his series, The Holiness of God, teach on this passage. And I'll never forget Dr. Sproul compared Peter's reaction here to the reaction of Isaiah when Isaiah sees the Lord in Isaiah 6. I'll read that passage to you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, in that moment, Isaiah not only gets a glimpse of who the Lord is, he gets a glimpse of who Isaiah is. In this moment, Peter not only gets a glimpse of who the Lord is, he gets a glimpse of who Peter is. And Peter senses the radical disconnect between the blazing holiness of Jesus and his own sin and he knows that those two things don't go together. He says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. In 1966, England won the World Cup in soccer and Immediately after the, the match, the, the captain of the, the English squad, a guy named Bobby Moore, was uh, called forth to receive the World Cup trophy from Queen Elizabeth. And an interviewer asked him, said, what, what did you feel like in that moment as you were approaching Her Majesty? And he said, I was terrified. Because as I was walking toward her, I saw that she had on white gloves and it suddenly hit me that my hands were covered in mud from the field. And so as he was walking forward to her, he's, he, he, was, he was frantically wiping his hands on his shorts. Theologian Vaughn Roberts reflecting on that moment says this, if Bobby Moore was worried about approaching the queen with his muddy hands, how much more horrified should we be at the prospect of approaching God? 
Because of our sin, we're not just dirty on the outside. Our hearts are unclean. And God doesn't just wear white gloves. He is absolutely pure through and through. Oh, but friends, here's the good news of the gospel. In Jesus, there's a holiness that moves toward sinners. Rather than moving away from us, Jesus comes to us and takes our sin on himself on a cross so that we can be covered in his righteousness. And so if you are in him, instead of saying, depart from me, Jesus says to you, join me. Join with me in changing the world. That's next. Divine call. A divine call. Let's um, look at verse 9 in the the first part of verse 10. It says, For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Luke has been called the gospel of amazement. Yeah, there, there are five words in Greek that can be translated as amazed. And, and Luke makes liberal use of all five of them <laughs> in his gospel. Jesus just leaves people amazed, astounded, astonished, awestruck, spellbound, thunderstruck, lost in wonder. And these guys are just absolutely awestruck to the point of fear. And so what does Jesus say? Latter part of verse 10, verse 11. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Several times uh, in the Gospels, Jesus, before he reveals himself in a new way, he has to tell people, don't be afraid, because he knows that what's about to happen is going to freak them out. (laughs) It happens in Luke 8, when he raises a girl from the dead. Don't be afraid. It happens in Matthew 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration. It happens in John 6 and Matthew 14. He walks in the water. Happens in Matthew 28 when he rises from the dead. He says, don't be afraid. Uh, And he says that because people are trembling in the presence of divine power. But what if that divine power, what if the one who possesses omnipotent power comes to us and adopts us and takes us as his own and says, join me in changing the world. Uh, 
Jesus knows exactly how they're feeling here. So he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. (laughs) I love that phrase. Literally, it, it means catching people alive. Catching people alive. Catching people for life instead of death. You see, the call of Jesus is a call to us that takes us away from the self-focused narcissism of our culture. Where it's just kind of the air that we breathe and it's our sin nature to focus on ourselves. The call of Jesus calls us to look away from ourselves and to look up to God in faith and out to other people in love. And part of looking outward to other people in love is loving them enough to tell them about the love that can rescue them. Tell them about the love of Jesus. And to kind of play the role of of spiritual midwife in their lives and help them to be birthed into the kingdom of God. In 1954, our, our family of churches, the Southern Baptist Convention, had a kind of a, kind of a slogan <laughs> that they came out with that, that year. They were trying to emphasize evangelism in Southern Baptist churches. And so they had a slogan that was promoted throughout the churches of the SBC. Some of you are old enough to wear, I'm sure you can remember the, this phrase being promoted in this church. It was a million more in 54. <laughs> A million more in 54. Yeah, it sounds kind of, you say, it sounds kind of cheesy. Maybe so. But I'm thankful for a denomination. And I'm thankful for churches like this one that care about lost people. That care about seeing people reached. Seeing people saved. Seeing lives changed. Southern Baptists didn't reach a million more (laughs) in 54. In fact, they really didn't get that close to it. But they got about (laughs) 600,000. 600,000 more (laughs) in 54. And one of those 600,000 was my dad. One life. Radically transformed by the gospel enabled me to grow up in a Christian home. It impacted this church in many ways. One life, because one neighbor from this church cared enough to begin praying for my parents and invited them. One life. Let me ask you, as we approach a new year, who's your one? Who's your one? One person in 2019 that you'll pray for, share the gospel with, 
and by God's grace. See them come to know him. Let's pray together. Our call is that from now on, we'll be catching people. We join with Jesus. The ultimate fisherman. (laughs) We join with him on a mission. And he calls each of us to that mission. Tell you what, let's just spend a few few moments here in, in, in prayer, in reflection. Think through people in your life. Think through family members that need to come to know Jesus. Think through neighbors. Think through people that you go to school with, people that you work with, people that your kids play sports with, or, or think through just people in your life that need the Savior. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's your one that you're gonna intercede for? Pray for them. Pray for the spirit to soften their heart. Pray for the spirit to bring conviction and to be already at work in their lives. Who's your one that you're gonna reach out to? and intentionally love for Christ's sake and love them enough to share the good news of Jesus with them and invite them into a relationship with him, invite them to come to a a church family where they can, can learn more, meet other believers. Who's your one? Who's your one in 2019? Let's obey his call. Let's, let's join with the savior and catching people for life. Lord, that is our prayer. That is our prayer. And we pray for the, the people whose uh, faces are on the hearts of people all across this room right now for what you would do in their lives. Lord, we pray for our own selves, Lord, that you would liberate us from, from our narcissism, from our self-focus. Lord, help us to look up to you in faith and look out to others in love. Love them enough to to act in love and to share in love. As we obey your call. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. 
You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.